This is Paul Docampo with realestateaudios.com and this is another expert interview series bringing you no fluff inside information showing you real practical skills and knowledge needed to succeed in real estate investing today. Alright, in this interview, you'll be listening to the Wizard of Wobbly Boxes, Andy Teasley. He's known in Southern California for being a cash flow expert, and he's the go-to person when it comes to mobile home investing. So, you're going to learn how he invests in mobile homes, why he does it, and his different strategies. His method is purely a cash flow method with mobile homes on leased land and on owned land as well. So, he brings a very unique approach to investing, which cuts out the maintenance and brings a worry-free check in your mailbox for months and years. So you'll also learn Teasley's two strategies for mobile home investing, how to get sellers to finance your deals, using a Native American real estate technique to create forever income, the easy and expensive method of mini mobile home parks, how much money you should have to get started, and what Teasley had when he got started, what important detail you should look for in a mobile home park, different ways to find deals, the mobile home rehab process before selling, and much more. So let's get to it. What is your strategy with mobile homes? I have two. One is just for income, immediate income, and in, in short-term income streams. I buy mobiles at an extreme discount from people that have a problem in their life that I can solve. Then we turn around, we polish those up, and we sell them with seller carryback financing for at least twice what we have in them. If you understand how to use what Clyde calls the time machine and you do the math, you'll find out we make at least 50% cash on cash return on our investments. What is seller carryback? When you buy something from a seller, instead of having to go to a bank and borrow money from a bank and go through all those hoops and give the profit to the guys in New York, instead you give some profit to the person who's selling the house and he carries the paper. And more often than not, if it's on a stick built house, he's going to do it on an installment sale plan. So it gets favorable treatment for tax purposes with the Infernal Revenue Service. But it's a great way for someone to acquire real estate without having to go to the bank and beg and stand there in your underwear and and answer 8,000 questions. And what's that uh, second way you invest in mobile homes? Well, the other thing I do is when I'm able to, and they are harder to find than ones in parks, I acquire mobile homes that are on fee land. That's land that's owned by the person that owns the mobile home. In a traditional mobile home community, there is one landowner and he owns the entire property and he leases each little segment of his property to a different person who owns a mobile home. So in those situations, all we can do there is buy and sell for cash flow and profit. When there are a number of communities where a mobile home park was developed, and I like to call it condoized, where each individual owner owns the land under their mobile home, as well as their mobile home. So they don't have space rent. They probably have a much smaller HOA, but no space rent. When I can acquire one of those, I do the same deal on the home where I I polish it up and sell it with seller carryback financing because I get a a nice income stream as well as a premium for price. But I keep the land and I turn it into what I call a single space mobile home park. Now that's wealth that's going to keep going on forever and ever and ever. Uh, You you may have heard about Indian lease land in the past where there's a 99-year lease to the federal government to benefit the Indian nations. Well, that's basically what we're doing, except instead of benefiting the, the federal government, theoretically to benefit the Indian nations, we're benefiting Andy's grandchildren. And 
as long as we own it, it will be generating rental income. The overhead is very small in that, that there's nothing there for us to fix. As a landlord, and I do have rental properties, uh, I've got toilets to repair and windows when they break that have to be replaced and roofs occasionally have to be replaced and, and air conditioners fail. All those expenses are not mine because I don't own the building. I just own the land. Now, in a traditional mobile home community, the person that owns the mobile home community has to maintain the infrastructure. So he has asphalt to take care of. He, he has snow to plow and and grass to mow, and water pipes to maintain, and sewer pipes to maintain, and maybe gas lines and electricity, and, and a lot of things that cost a lot of money. If it's a condoized development and everybody owns their own land, then the street is provided by the municipality, and the water from the water company, and the gas from the gas company, and the electric comes from the electric company. So there's nothing that I have as overhead going forward in the future with the exception of property taxes on a piece of land, which are going to be very minimal compared to property taxes on a stick-built house. And you mentioned that these are harder to find. Now, are they just less quantity of these community-owned parks, or are they just harder to get a discount on? There's, there's less of them. So in my immediate vicinity, I know of four out of probably 50 mobile home communities around me. So... That tells you that, that, you know, maybe one in 10. But the interesting thing is that those are just parks. Think about how often you've driven through a community where somebody had an infill lot and they didn't have the money to invest to put in a stick-built house. So what they did instead is they brought in a modular or mobile home and installed that on a city lot. Well, there's no reason you can't do my system on one of those. And there's rural areas. For example, I lived in a in a 10 by 50 mobile home before my wife and I got together. We owned an acre and a quarter of land and put a mobile home on it because it was a very affordable way to provide housing for me. And I had an acre and a quarter to fill up with my junk. Are you doing this right now, buying empty lots and putting a mobile home into it? No, because in one community I've been targeting, I have 1,700 already developed individually titled mobile homes on lots. I, I really only need about 20 to, to earn more money than I can spend every month because every one of these should net out $500 a month adjusted for inflation forever. I personally can't spend $10,000 a month on myself. Do you think that can be done Anywhere? Because I, I know of some parks that are community-owned parks might be a little higher end. I know that Palm Desert's a higher-end uh, area as well. So do you find those are a little harder to sell when you present sellers with this idea, hey, you're not going to own the land, you're just going to own the mobile home? What's their response to that? How difficult is it to sell it? Well, you have to remember that, that every other square mile of Palm Springs belongs to Indians. So this system where we have houses that, that where you own the house and you don't own the land under the house, that's a fairly common occurrence in, in this area. And the other thing is that the areas I'm working right now, since I live in Heaven's Waiting Room, I'm dealing with a lot of 55 and over communities. And I have a conversation with the person that's considering buying. And I say, you know, if you have your heart set on buying the dirt under your house, I will sell you the dirt under your house. I want $100,000 for that dirt. Or if you prefer, and I think it's a wiser choice, when you're talking about your retirement home, you you can rent the dirt under your house and pay me $525 a month. 
and leave that $100,000 that you would have to pay me to own the dirt under your house in the market where it can build wealth and, and grow for you instead of tying it up in dirt, which may or may not go up in value depending on the market. So I'm not going to sell to everyone that stops because they know they can buy the land under houses in the community from other folks, but I'm going to sell to the ones that want my financing and that's okay. And going back to your first strategy, how much money do you think somebody's going to need to get started doing this? Well, I started my mobile home flipping with my $5,500 deposit into my Roth IRA account. And I've grown it substantially since then. The techniques that I teach in my classes for replacement funding show that you can grow that substantially. You need to continue to find people who are happy making 9% in their retirement accounts. And quite frankly, there's a lot of those folks out there today. And get them to buy your paper. If you write all your loans at 9%, then that's what they can earn by just paying you face value for one of your notes. It's it's a pretty simple structure. Explain the um, buying your paper. Well, let's say that I have two identical mobile homes. And I've invested $10,000 in in each of them. That's what it took me to acquire it, to fix it up, and pay space rent to bring it to the market. So I'm all in $10,000 on each one of those. Now, if I sell each of those for $3,000 down and a $22,000 note, then I can more than double my money. But if I go out to the market and I borrow $22,000 on one of those two houses from an investor and pay him 9% on his money, you can see why an investor with a small retirement account might really appreciate that 9% income stream in their IRA. Then by collecting that $22,000 up front, that pays for the acquisition of both of those houses. So now I get to keep both down payments and I get to keep the income stream from the other note because I borrowed the 22000 from an investor. And the person that's going to live in that house is going to assume that loan and make the payments to the investor. So I don't ever have to pay that $22,000 back. So by doing that, that funds almost three deals. To kind of summarize, you're, you're buying a mobile home that's on a leased land. You don't own the lot. Uh, you're then immediately selling that on another note with terms with this uh, new buyer, and you're creating the cash flow through, with that. Now, have you found that people can pretty much do this anywhere, or is there some areas that doesn't really work out with your strategy? Well, I use a pretty simple formula. I'm kind of a numbers nerd. And to determine if a program will work in your area, you need to acquire two pieces of knowledge. You need to figure out what the equivalent apartment rent would be. So, for example, let's say we have a two-bedroom, two-bath, 1,200-square-foot mobile home in a grade B community. It's not top of the line. It's not bottom. It's 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 higher middle. Uh, it's it's got a nice pool and 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 some green belt, maybe even a golf course and a, and activities in the clubhouse. But it's a grade B community. I want to go and I want to find what a 1,200 square foot, two bedroom, two bath apartment would rent for in that neighborhood in a grade B apartment building. You have to understand we need an equivalent number. So now we know what what our competition is. They can go rent an apartment for this price. From that number, we're going to subtract the space rent. We have to talk to the park manager and find out what the, the space rent is going to be for the new owner who buys our mobile home. 
we also subtract $100 from that number. Whatever's left over is going to give us our allow maximum allowable mortgage payment when we sell the house on seller carryback financing because we want our product to be nice and it, we want it to be priced a better value than the competition. So you can come and pay your space rent and pay your mortgage to me on my 1,200 square foot, two bedroom, two bath house, and it will be $100 a month less to live there than to live in the same apartment building, the same neighborhood, same quality of apartment building, same two bedroom, two bath, 1,200 foot unit, except in your manufactured home, nobody's gonna walk on your ceiling and you don't have to listen to the neighbors when they get frisky. Okay, so what I know somebody might be asking, you're selling these for payments. Why not just sell them for a full amount or a loan on these? Why, why are you so focused on notes? Well, because a few reasons. One is greed. I mean, greed is good, and, and I like making money. So at some point in my life, someone pointed out the fact that the big buildings in, in New York and L.A., if you look at this side of the building, there's a logo for a bank on there. See, banks are who make all the money. So I get to be the bank. I get that profits, that income stream. I like income. I like cash flow. Now, on top of that, it's much easier to sell a home with seller carryback financing if you want to get retail. I get retail plus a premium because anybody can walk into the community and buy a home that has $22,000 in the bank in cash. They might even buy one as nice as mine. But only from me can they come in with $3,000 in cash and good credit and be willing to sign a note and turn around and pay three fifty dollars a month mortgage to me. Not have to go through a bank to qualify, merely qualify to live in the community. Okay. And um, so you don't need a lot of – you said 3000 You don't need a lot of funds to do these. Obviously, these are very small, cheapo deals. Yeah. Now, are they small, cheapo deals in your neighborhood? I don't know. Are they, you know, you have to figure out what you need where you are. There are communities where the math doesn't work. There are some, some mobile home communities in Orange County that are on the beach, basically. You open your back door and you can walk right out into the sand. When those communities were built, it was, oh, that awful sand dune down south. Nobody wants to live there. Now it's completely surrounded by high-end buildings and apartments. And it's a very premium place to live, so it drives the, the lot rent up substantially. Also drives the unit rent, uh, the unit price up. Unfortunately, the equivalent apartment on the other side of the hill, where you can't see the the ocean when you walk out your back door, is who we have to compete with, and their prices are substantially lower. So there are places where there's not enough of a gap between the equivalent apartment rent and the space rent to make the system work. When you're teaching your students this, uh, is there a particular type of mobile home park that you recommend to them go after first? Because there's the mom and pop mobile home parks and there's the corporate mobile home parks. What I've done both, and and I think that it really just depends on who's running the park. If you're running a park, if you go to a park and, and you walk into the park's management office and you say, hi, my name's Andy. I buy mobile homes. I polish them up nice, and I sell them with seller carryback financing. What's for sale? If you ask that question and they give you a list of five addresses, they're obviously not handling this problem in-house. 
if you have that conversation and the park says, oh, we don't have anything available, whenever something comes available, we dispatch George out there and George gets it cleaned up and rehabbed and made ready to go. So I don't want to be competing with George, you know what I mean? So that doesn't work there. I'm not going to start in that kind of community. I want to be in a community where I'm the hero, where I come in and I take the nastiest house that park owns and make it pretty and get a good tenant in there paying the bills. That's what the park wants for me. That's what I want from the park. Is that your primary means of finding these deals, going right to the park? I always start there. That's going to give you a great indication of whether you've got a friendly park or, or a park where they're not friendly. Uh, you really need to have have the park manager on your side because they have to approve all your new tenants. And I actually had one that I lost my shirt on uh, because I had a corrupt park manager. And he would take anybody that applied, he would turn them on to something he had, and he would give them a, a good deal on something he had. So he got some profit or kickback from them uh, and stole my, my tenants, my, my buyers, after I had marketed and got them impressed with my house. So you have to have a friend in the park. Is there any other ways you look for these deals? No, well, you do all kinds of stuff. Um, in the community where we own the land, and, and I actually am actively marketing, I go in, I, I actually had some T-shirts printed that say Andy buys mobile homes and my phone number. I hang a, in a plastic bag, I hang that a T-shirt and a card that tells the, the homeowner that I want to buy their home, which also has my phone number on it. And I put them in a plastic bag and hang them on doorknobs. And what my statistics have shown is that for every 35 of those T-shirts I hang, I buy a house. That's a pretty good return. For more audio interviews, tips, and articles, go to realestateaudios.com. Are you always rehabbing these? No. No, no. I, I, I buy some I don't touch. Remember, the secret is to be solving someone's problem, not not doing a lot of construction. Now, when I'm buying from the park, I get ones that need to be rehabbed. If I'm buying just because someone has an issue, I may not touch it. One of my best deals ever was a, a unit that I bought for $100 from a couple who had purchased the unit eight years earlier as their retirement home. The gentleman had a problem with his boss and quit, decided he was going to retire. The wife was not ready to retire for another five years. Uh, they lived in Henderson, Nevada, and they couldn't afford the mortgage payment on the house in Henderson and the space rent on the mobile home community in Cathedral City with him retired and her being the, the only one with a real paycheck anymore. So that made it uncomfortable for them. I bought that one for $100. I cleaned the carpet and fixed a problem in the subfloor in the master bathroom. That's all I did, and I sold it for $35,000. So you offered $100 on something that's roughly anywhere from twenty dollars to $30,000 retail price. <laughs> How did you go about doing that? I mean, you just gave them $100 right then and there for it, and they are happy to take it? Well, they, what happened was they, I had a good relationship with the park manager, and the park manager does not like empty units. So they had come in and they had dropped the keys to their home. They were ready to give it away on the counter in the office. And the lady at the counter said, no, 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 don't do that. You got to give a 60 day notice, but here, call Andy. He may be able to help you out. So they called me. I made an appointment. I went out and met with them and we chatted and he told me the situation about the job and all that. Basically I asked him, what do you want to do? And he said, I don't want to pay space rent anymore. 
And I could have had that house for free, except that I don't want to have to explain free to my uh, IRA custodian. So my IRA paid $100 for that house. So it was an investment. It was a purchase. It's important to do those things. Yeah. And this is basically the famous Lonnie deals. Can you explain the Lonnie deal? Well, it's a pretty simple deal. Buy cheap, sell for at least twice what you have in it, carry the paper. Rinse and repeat. Occasionally you get one back. When you do, polish it up and sell it again and get another down payment. Most of my students make more money the second and third time they sell a home. Now, the, the rehab process, what's your, uh, what's your order of steps when you're rehabbing? First we, first, we fix the roof. If it's got a leaky roof, that's got to be fixed first. Second, we fix the plumbing. Water is the biggest threat you have to a manufactured home. Third, we're going to fix the subfloor. If there's any holes, we're going to fix them. If there's a lot of holes, we're going to overlay the entire home. Uh, fourth, we're going to go through and paint everything. If it has crank open windows, we'll probably replace crank open windows with vinyl rehab windows. Then paint, uh, repair the cabinets in the kitchen, make sure that the doors open and close and the drawers slide nicely. It may be necessary to change out the Formica countertop in the kitchen. Uh, we, we often do that because it, uh, you get a lot of bang for a couple hundred dollars. Clean it, paint it, put wood laminate flooring down, make sure that the porch is safe, make sure the stairs are safe. Maybe throw a little fanciness and some light fixtures in it if it needs an upgrade. Paint the outside if it needs it. Pressure wash it if it doesn't. I mean, and then you're ready to sell. Take it to market. Yeah, pretty simple. Is there a price for square foot that you average out? No, I don't do anything by the square foot. I generally get handymen to bid what they think the job should be worth, what they're willing to do it for, and I make them compete against each other and I hire the guy with the best best price in the shortest timeline. Do you have struggles with that? With the, I mean, you have a team now, I think, right? Your your renters do it for you. I'm I'm constantly looking for people. Is that a hassle? Contractors tend to be good for a couple of years, then they get lazy and they know what they can get away with, and they're not very excited about your work because they start believing it's always going to be there. They can go do their their fancy profitable jobs and ignore you, and then it's time to start shopping again. So I'm always on the market. I'm always looking for another another contractor to add to my bid list. Now, I'm going to go back to buying on terms. So somebody with no money wants to go buy a mobile home, buys it on terms. Uh, can he resell that uh, on terms as well? Sure. It just depends on what you negotiate with the seller. Quite often, a seller does not require that his his loan, the money that you owe him, be secured by his mobile home. So it could be that, that he just has you write a promissory note because he trusts you because you've developed a good relationship in your negotiation. Uh, the biggest mistake most people make in negotiating with a, a home seller of any type is they get in a hurry, they rush, they don't take their time. If you, if you take your time, you're going to get a better deal. You want to negotiate with someone who has decided that they want to adopt you. So how do you sell it if the seller wants to maintain the title? So so here's the thing. First off, you shame on you for not making him want to adopt you and trust you enough to not need it to be secured. But uh, let's say that, that you arrange $100 a month, principal only, until paid. And you pay $1,000 down payment on that home. And you put $1,000 into polishing it up and in the space rent and you find somebody to give you $3,000 down and a note 
that pays three fifty a month until paid, and it runs longer than the payments you're making to the seller. That's important. You don't want the seller. You don't want your income stream to end before you've paid off the home. So then you're collecting every month three fifty and paying out a hundred. So you've got a net two fifty a month positive cash flow. And if you cover all of your expenses up front with a down payment. You will find out if you try to calculate that on your calculator that that is an infinite return. And um, I forgot to ask this question. Going back to kind of your your um, your whole foundation behind this, but well, why did you start getting into mobile home investing? I know you did other stuff before that, but why mobile home investing? What spurred you to do that? Okay, the market got tight. I, I'm traditional. I like income streams. I don't like being on the rat wheel. I like things that generate a check every month. I like opening my mailbox and finding mail, you know, checks in there from tenants and note pairs. And what I found is that the I had, the ability for me to buy cash flowing rental houses had dried up. I'm a pretty good door knocker, and I figure in my in my neighborhood, which I can reach on a bicycle, which is the only place you're going to sell me a house, I could. Door, knock doors for a year and probably get two cash flowing rental houses. That's a lot of work for two cash flowing rental houses. So somebody told me about Tim King doing Lonnie deals and I went and had a chat with Tim and he told me about deals on wheels and I read the book and, and saw the system, the, the way Lonnie had created it and figured out how to rework it so that it would work with Dodd-Frank and the SAFE Act and California's usury laws. And uh, I started flipping mobile homes. It's basically the same business I was doing in 2003 to 2007, where I was buying land cheap and turning around and selling it, collecting enough on the down payment to make it profitable, and then collecting a note. The lesson I learned in the downturn was that that piece of land that that the buyer was in love with and he really was going to do something with, and he was sure it was in the path of progress, well, when the path of progress turned around, went the other way, he turned around and mailed me a, a quit claim deed. So I ended up owning land again. Um, we haven't been through a downturn since I've been in the mobile home sphere, but I expect that my buyers are going to fight to keep these houses, unlike my land buyers who didn't fight to keep their houses because they weren't houses. They were just an investment. So it's recession proof. Yes. Yeah, and most of my buyers being, being senior citizens, most of them are on a fixed income anyhow. And a recession isn't going to hurt their income stream. Can you do the same strategy with single-family houses, selling on a note? You know something? The better thing on single-family houses, uh, selling on a note is great. I've been talking to friends in the South, and I've pointed out to them, you know, how many of you have passed on a rental house that you've seen because, gee, that's a 120-year-old rental house. I mean, it's in a decent neighborhood. Uh, it's going to be pretty easy to keep rented, but it's going to be really hard to maintain that house. So I've been encouraging them to fi- to find those, buy them right, then turn around and sell the, the house and keep the land under the house. Do that land lease structure on a house rather than a mobile home because it works even if the house never had tires under it. And if it was just built in a dirt lot by a bunch of guys drinking too much beer. Granted, it won't be as nice a house as a mobile home, but 
it's much better if you can get a good deal on a house you don't want to keep as a rental piece to, to keep the land as a rental and just sell the home and pass all that maintenance on to your home buyer. So how do you – okay, this is a regular house, older house, and you're saying to do the same structure that you do on your mini mobile home park strategy and sell the house but keep the land. How does that work with the house being part of the land? Well, now, I haven't done it personally. It gets done on a regular basis, not by me, just because it hasn't presented itself yet. So you acquire a house. It's got one assessor's parcel number that covers the land and the improvements thereon. And you do what's called splitting the fee. Depending on your state, that may require a real estate attorney to write some documents. You're probably going to need the, the county tax assessor to assign you a new number for your structure for when you sell the improvements and keep the land. Uh, there may actually be two new assessor's parcel numbers. So you, you actually do a split. So in, in Riverside, structures that are not on land are in their own book. So structure would have its own assessor's parcel number that had nothing in common with the underlying land's assessor's parcel number. Hmm. That's interesting. Huh. I could see that working really well in the South then, like you said, 120-year-old houses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had some in Blythe. I wish I'd done that too. You still own rentals as well. It's not just pure note investing for you then. Still own rentals. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, what would the market be like for you to move away from mobile home investing? Oh, move away? I don't think I will. I... Uh, I don't know how many more in-park flips I'm going to be doing just because I've got enough. And, and I think that as they come back to me, I'll be able to, to keep that, that half of my business occupied and happy. Um, I set a goal to get my 20 single-space mobile home parks uh, of five years a year ago, and I'm up to 13 now. So odds are I'm going to overshoot my goal. And I just I don't need that much income. I have too much fun teaching. I have a feeling when I get my 20 free and clear, I'm going to just slow down a lot. Of course, I say this and all my friends tell me I'm full of shit and that when I get my 20, I'm going to keep going and get 50, which might happen. You never know. But uh, I'm going to keep having a good time. That's that's what's important to me at this point in my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, door knocking, is that your best way to, to find these deals? I love door knocking. I mean, that's the best way to to, to really find a deal anytime. It's always going to be where you can get knee to knee with the home seller and negotiate a really a good deal. I, I encourage everyone who hasn't to, to go take Bill Cook's door knocking class. Uh, he is the best door knocking educator in the industry as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it's a very powerful tool. I haven't taken his class. He, he, he does come out here from time to time, right? He does. And he keeps threatening to stop teaching it. So next time he's in town, you should take it. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks, Sandy. Um, we're going to cut it here. And where can people find you? How do they contact you? Well, you can always find me through the Millionaire Makers Next Gen website. That's a website that I created for the express purpose of hopefully training the next generation of non-guru real estate educators. And I've been trying to collect information on people who are not 70 plus years old who are good real estate educators. They bring good content to the table for an affordable price. There are no upsell teachers. There's there's no run to the back of the room. You got to buy today or you're not going to get it. None of those gimmicks that just scream ripoff. So there's that website. 
you can always email me at Andy the Christmas guy at yahoo.com. That's Andy the Christmas guy at yahoo.com. I'm sure that there will be a link on this somewhere to get to me. I teach my course about every eight weeks uh, in various communities, and I would love to come teach for your group. If you're out of state, contact me, and I'll we'll discuss arranging that. All right, that's great. Awesome, Andy. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. You take care. I'll see you. All right, thanks. I'll see you Saturday. Save me a seat, would you, please? I will do. Stick a piece of paper to save for Andy in the back row. (laughs) All right, sounds good. Yeah, thanks, my friend. See you on Saturday. See ya. Bye-bye. All right, that's another interview in the can. And if you want more audio interviews, expert advice, tips, and a free gift, head over to realestateaudios.com.